We are in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, when you have a whole series um, based on the Lord's Prayer, you know that to some degree you're pulling it apart. Um, you're pulling apart something that most often you simply, you may say, you may recite, and, and looking at it um, a little more deeply. Um, I know when Paul, I think, was talking to Timothy, he talked to him about rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, that there is much about what is written in the word of God that is worthy of being rightly divided. Uh, and to me, it, it, it seems like that speaks about taking it apart and looking at it and maybe finding the depth uh, that is in some of the passages of Scripture that we may at times just uh, maybe quickly read over. Uh, this morning before um, I start, although it certainly sounds like I've started, um, there are going to be a few slides, I think three of them, and I just want you to, to think about them, that they may help turn our, our heart and our thoughts to this idea of a, the will of God, that it be done here on earth as it is in heaven which is really kind of what I want to talk about this morning. So there are three slides. I want you to just simply read them, uh, followed by a, a short uh, video clip um, that I think will help point us in the right direction. So thanks, Carly. So how can I know God's will for my life? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Ta-da! It's called the Bible, and in it we find the teachings and life and way of Jesus. When our way is in line with the way of Jesus, we are in line with God's will for our lives. That's it. Uh, for instance, here's a passage from 1 Thessalonians. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, be a joyful, prayerful, grateful person. It says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is the kind of person you're going to be. You say, yes, okay, okay, but what about the specific things? Like, who am I supposed to marry? And should I take this course? Or should I get that job? For those things, God says, make a decision. I made you in my image, in my likeness. You're an image bearer of God. And part of that is that you're a choice maker. Make choices. What God's more concerned about is the kind of person you're going to be as you move along that way, having made one of those choices. God says he's like a loving parent to you. A loving parent may sometimes give a nudge to their kid to say, I'd, I'd love you to be a doctor. I'd love for you to be a lawyer. I'd love for you to do this. But in the end, the choice has to be the kids. What the parent is most concerned about is the kind of person their kid is going to grow up to be. Then the person can say, I'm, or the parent can say, I'm really proud of this little person who's my kid. <clears throat> now, there are some parents who say, I can't believe you want to be an artist. I'm not proud of you until you carry on the family tradition and you become a fill in the blank. But those are not good parents. Those are parents who are not acting out of love, but they're projecting their own expectations on another human being made in God's image, and that's not right. But that's not what God does. The other thing is, if God does, on occasion, have a specific thing he wants you to do, and it's really important, then guess what? 
He knows where you live. He has your address and he will get to you and make it very clear. If it's very important, it will be very clear. We know from the Bible that God could send an angel or a dream or a vision or someone else into your life who can say, hey, God really wants me to share this with you and it'll be abundantly clear. Happens rarely, but it can happen. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, you don't have to go and find it. You don't have to make it happen. No one in scripture made it happen. God finds them. So it's up to God. Otherwise, just make good, loving, wise decisions. You know, wouldn't it be weird if you came home from school one day and your father said, you know, Billy, there's something very important that I want you to do. And it's so important. If you don't do it before mm, supper time, I'm going to be very disappointed with you. You will have missed my will for you, Billy, before supper, and there will be consequences. And Billy says, what is it, Dad? And Dad says, I'm not going to tell you. Not clearly, anyway. I want you to play a game of hotter, hotter, colder, colder, and maybe we'll figure it out. Maybe we won't. It'll be ambiguous, but there will be consequences. That's not good parenting. That parent needs a therapist. Instead, God just says, here's the kind of person I want you to be. Here are the manners I want you to use. Do you have any homework? You know you should, you should get it done, etc. And that's how we move through life. The real question is, if you do hear the voice of God and it does say something specific to you, how do you know it's the voice of God and not just your own voice in your head? But that's another question. Uh, Bruxy Cavey um, is actually going to be in Kelowna. I think it's the weekend of March 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Uh, I think he's speaking at uh, Trinity Baptist, if I'm right, on the Saturday night, which would be March the 3rd. Um, I would encourage you, if uh, you could make that into a date night, you could take someone to the Eli- to Trinity Baptist for a Saturday night church service. Uh, I think you would find it, uh, I'm not sure what he's going to speak about, I'm not sure what the, his topic will be, um, but he is a voice, I say, within the kingdom of God. Uh, that to me speaks about the reality of the kingdom in a way that, in a way is, that is down to earth. That it's not something weird that you have to figure out. It's about a willingness to live in obedience to what God has clearly asked us to do as His people. So, um, I enjoy His uh, His perspective, and uh, you know I think there may be some things in some of those clips that you might you know, take issue with. You might say, ooh, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I know at one point he says, just make a decision. Just make a decision. But I think in many of those situations in life, uh, you know, the wisdom of that decision would probably involve the wisdom of talking to other people and saying, you know, what do you think? Is this a direction? Do you think I should go? So, um, but I like especially the fact that... um, he talks about the will of God as not something mysterious that we have to try to figure out. That really it's more about obedience to those things that are pretty clear and being willing to walk that way. Uh, I remember in, in Bible school, and I, I may have shared this story um, when I was in Bible school, which was quite a few decades ago, um, the, the phrase living in the center of God's will uh, was a phrase that was used very often. And it sort of, uh, maybe other people didn't grapple with it the way I did, but I I sort of came away with the sense that there is a bullseye that you need to constantly be trying to find for your life in every decision. And I would say it kind of messed me up 
um, you know, well, I'm in, am I in the center of God's will if I do this? Am I not? And, and this idea that the will of God for us is about who we are and how we live that out. And some of the other decisions of life, yes, you involve God in it, but you may also simply involve the wise counsel of other people. Um, when we pray the prayer, though, uh, God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, we cannot pray that prayer as a spectator. It's not like we're saying, God, go ahead and do that, and I'll stand or we will stand on the sideline and watch you work that out. It really is the prayer that the will of God be done in which we are willing to be participants. Um, and so if I would say in a broad picture this morning, can you know the will of God for you? I would say the answer to that question is absolutely yes. It's not hidden. It's clear. Uh, parenting, I, I've thought a little bit about parenting over the last two weeks, not that I'm involved in that in, uh, in the way that many of young families are anymore, but parenting at time can deteriorate uh, into a battle of wills, which seems so odd that an adult and a small little person can at times be at such odds with each other, where the simple question about why can't you simply do it, because I asked you to do it, has to be challenged or is challenged at such a young age. And so we sometimes say, well, one of our children was strong-willed, one of our children was more compliant. And at a certain time or age in life, everybody would say, you know what, I'd prefer the compliant ones. And then later on in life, it's often people will say, well, the compliant ones seem to struggle with becoming people pleasers. And the strong-willed one grows up to kind of know where they want to go and what they want to do. But to me, it really is just simply this illustration of battle of wills that happens in very ordinary situations in our life. Uh, most parents, uh, I think, seek to cr create uh, creative ways to avoid clashes of wills with their children, or at least to minimize the collateral damage. And I remember even teaching school, a wise colleague once said to me, Doug, whenever you give an assignment, Build in some aspect of choice. That olive branch of choice will likely ease the tension of some of your students who immediately want to question why, why, and the options say, well, you can do it this way, or you can do it this way, or you can do it this way, often has a way of easing that tension. Uh, so you might say that's my free parenting tip of the morning. That in, and I've seen many parents do that, actually. If a certain thing is an issue, then they can somehow build choices into that issue, and suddenly some of the tension goes away. In some way, I think it reflects the truth that our own will, even as children of God, does not automatically align with the will of God the Father. 
and we are children. He is our father. And at times it may be that our father would ask us, why do you battle against me? Why are you fighting against me? That we are engaged in a battle that uh, we are told to resist the patterns of this world. We're told to resist the thinking of this world. We're called to be transformed, and the Bible says, by the renewing of our minds, that our minds would increasingly have a kingdom of God outlook on everything. A kingdom of God outlook on the kingdoms of this world, kingdom of God outlet in the work that we do, that our minds would truly become transformed. And we don't do that without thinking about things, as Paul said, set your minds then on things above. And the prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to me is on one hand incredibly reassuring that it speaks to the reality of a realm where the will of God is the only agenda. Where only that which is pure, that which is honorable, that which is lovely, that which is righteous, that which is beautiful, exists unopposed. That in heaven no other wills are at play other than the will of God. And it is actually the reward that lies ahead for those of us who acknowledge God, acknowledge Jesus as our Savior and Lord. I think about it in a way of, there is coming a day when we will not be pulled in other directions other than towards God himself. And I find it amazing to think about what would that even be like where my will is completely in line with the will of God. However, here on earth, God's desire for his creation and God's desire for us is not the only voice seeking to grab our attention. It's not the only voice that seeks to influence our behavior. And in my own life, my own will at times will challenge or oppose or sometimes simply tune out the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our faith, and it's interesting, and some might say it's too bad, our faith does not suddenly make our wills a non-issue. could argue, in fact, that I think our faith at times heightens an awareness of how strong our will can be and how difficult at times it is to fight against it. And so in a very real way, we too, as adults, are children of God who make decisions every day about how we're going to live. And sometimes it's about having our own way or whether we're going to allow the voice of God, the Spirit of God, to tune out or to drown out or to silence other voices. And to remind us that in his kingdom, his will for us is to live differently. 
And that differently is not a mystery or something hidden. It's written throughout the teachings of Jesus. It's written throughout the letters of Paul about what does that look like. J.I. Packer put it this way, for God's will to be done in our lives on earth in the same way it is done among the angels will involve us in quite a struggle. And in order to be involved in the struggle, to have victory in this struggle, we need to take our cues from a different place, which is really what Paul is referring to when he says, so set your mind on things above. You know, Jesus is our perfect example of perfect submission to the will of God. When Jesus spoke of obedience to the will of God, it was never an abstract theological concept. In fact, uh, John 6.38 says, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me and not to do my own will. And so Jesus, when he considered the will of God for his life, he actually knew what lay before him. Those around him often didn't understand, even his own disciples until much later, did not understand everything that Jesus talked about. But Jesus knew that to obey the will of his Father meant that he would have to be obedient unto death. And it's interesting that at times, there are times in Jesus' own life, said to his Father, God, if there is any other way, and yet he submitted to the will of God and ushered in what we talked about last week, a kingdom that is actually not of this world. A beautiful kingdom of which you and I are a part. But it also ushered in, I'm going to say, a call and a challenge for us as his kingdom people to live as new creations in this kingdom that is not of this world. And so as citizens of this kingdom, the question, how then should we live, is a great question to ask. When we pray, your will be done here on earth, we are actually saying, God, what does it mean for your will to be done, first of all, in my own heart and in my own life. And we are not really asking an abstract question. At a very fundamental level, God's will for your life is no different than God's will for my life. I might work it out in different areas throughout my walk through this journey, but the will of God for us is not, well, I've got my will for you is this, but my will for you is completely different. And really, that's what Bruxy was talking to, that the will of God is truly to mold us and change us into new creations in Christ Jesus. 
And as Broxy says that we are to be image bearers of Jesus. In the teachings of Jesus and in the writings of Paul to various churches, there is so much that is written about what is God's will for his people and his church. And I want to read, uh, it's a long passage, so I hope that's okay. It comes from Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read all the way from verse 1 to 17. Uh, I believe this is the New Living Translation. Um, sometimes on a Sunday morning, as I said this to Carlene, sometimes people would say, well, that was good, but you didn't use a lot of Scripture. This Sunday morning will be a bit different. Um, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture that simply talks about the will of God for you and for me in ways that are not head-scratching, but they are ways that challenge us in terms of how them am I willing to live. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So I would say on a big-scale picture, he is saying, you know what, spend some of your time uh, thinking about the hope that lies in each one of us as children of God. So... Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. And it really is simply Paul saying, I realize that these things haven't just automatically suddenly disappeared when you said yes to Jesus. But he says, lost my place. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And a lot of us might say, okay, yeah, I get that. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is actually an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming, and you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, get rid of rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, and put on. Put on your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. To know Him and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter if you're barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. And since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. So if, I think you could say 
what is the will of God for me? He said, well, Doug, clothe yourselves with, yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And it's interesting that that line really is another line in the Lord's Prayer. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you were called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now that's a small part taken out of a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. But if you read... Galatians, if you read Ephesians, if you read Thessalonians, he says virtually the same things to every church that he writes to. He may talk because he has a specific issue in mind about that church, but then when you read in that letter, it eventually gets to this all the time. It's like this is the will of God for you as the children of God and as the church. Our will, that decision-making part of who we are and how we have been created, often chooses self over others. I know I do that. That will often at times may choose rebellion over obedience. That will sometimes may choose sin over purity. Jesus knows that tendency, which is precisely the reason for the cross. That that which we cannot do on our own, he has done for us. But our prayer still needs to be as children of God, help me submit to the voice of the Spirit rather than the voice of my own will. And it's, I will say, a daily picking up the cross and what that means and saying, help me follow Jesus. The prayer, not your will but mine, which is a prayer that Jesus prayed, is a prayer we need to pray all the time. We need to pray it in virtually every situation, and I would say there have been times over the past two weeks in my own life where I have had to suppress my own will and desire to simply react and to heed the voice of the Spirit that said, Doug, it may be best for you to keep silent and to ask for wisdom and self-control. To pause, because I think at times we know when these wills are at war and we need to surrender and say, God, help me in this situation to listen to your voice. The call to live holy, God-honoring, 
righteous lives is part of the spiritual battle we all fight. Temptations, whatever they might be, are actually spiritual battles of our wills. So we need to pause and pray, God, may your will be done in my life at this moment. At this point of temptation, God, may your will be done, not my own. Give me the strength to run, to say no, to simply submit to your will for me. That this must be our desire to live holy lives of obedience, submitted to the will of God. And when we fall, which we will, we need to confess and embrace the forgiveness of our Father. We need to embrace the victory of Jesus on our behalf, who says, Doug, for those sins I died. For those sins I have paid a price. Don't dwell on them. Don't let your sin, don't let failures define you or defeat you. Confess them. And if necessary, confess them to one another and then dwell on the love of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. And say, thank you, Jesus, that I am dressed not in my righteousness, but in yours. That's how I'm dressed. Help me to walk that way. The Bible also makes reference in terms of a battle of wills. There is that, I think, battle that we know, that we live out. Uh, the Bible also references evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. That there's a battle of wills that sort of goes and reaches even beyond our own personal lives. A will whose sole agenda is to question, to challenge, to thwart the will of God on earth. And to thwart the will of God in his church and in his people. That there are unseen spiritual forces that constantly war against that which God would have. And we don't fully comprehend all of this. In fact, it might be good to say we only comprehend a bit of what that all means. But I think we see its results when we see hatred, when we see war, when we see murder and anger, when we see revenge, when we see deception and abuse, when we see anarchy, destruction, lawlessness, when we see even the worship of self, in some way I believe we are bearing witness to these spiritual realms that are at play all around us in a way that only God understands. I mean, there are times when we will refer to entire regimes entire kingdoms of this world as evil. We may even use that term to describe their leadership. At times we refer to the actions of individuals as pure evil. When we ask what would possess anyone to do, fill in the blank, 
to a child, to a woman, to a fellow human being. When we ask that question, what would possess them, I think that is a loaded phrase. And I think it speaks to the credibility and the reality of spiritual forces of evil, of darkness within this world. over which God has conquered them. That ultimately that battle has been won. We have our own wills. And at times our own wills battle against our Father. There are spiritual forces in the unseen realm that wage war against the will of God. And we have Jesus reminding us to pray, a prayer with a heart that says, God, starting in me and working through me, may your will be done here on earth. Make me a player in your kingdom by submitting to your will for me. And we need to embrace in this prayer, and I talked about it earlier, that beautiful assurance that stands in contrast to all the competing wills here on earth. That there stands the kingdom of heaven where righteousness, peace, love, harmony abound. There exists this realm in which no other wills, no other forces, no other agendas are at play. That we will simply be surrounded by the glory of God and we will share in it. That there is a coming a day when our wills will truly be 100% in line with our Father's will for us. So really our faith, and I think the teachings of the New Testament, it says, until that time, seek to walk that way. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right and pure. Fix your thoughts on what is lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What's God's will for me? Right there. As children of God and citizens of heaven, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, as a church, even in our imperfections, these verses paint a picture of what it looks like when the will of God is done here on earth. I want to close by just reading a few more passages of, of Scripture that point to what I will simply say is the will of God. For his creation, God's heart for the world that he created, God's heart for us who have accepted him and acknowledged him as God. And I think it has so much more to do about molding who we are 
then about exactly what we may be doing at a certain point in our life. It's about God truly changing us. Timothy 2, verse 1 to 6. This is kind of a broad brushstroke of God's will for his creation. And he says to the church, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we, children of God, can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by what? Godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. It's God's will, really, for his creation, for his people, for those who today may stand apart from God. The will of God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and there is only one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 17. Bruxy actually referred to this. It started out with a bit of an odd warning, but... Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you. For all who belong to Christ Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 9 and 10. Paul talking to the church. He says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. And we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. And that God would give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you could ask the question, why or how would you know if that actually happened? He says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And the last one, Galatians 5, 23. But the Holy Spirit, or if I would put it another way, the presence of the indwelling God in our life produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, you know what? You can do these all you want. No law against them. Let them flow from your lives. 
I was reading a commentary this week that said, you know, sometimes people look at though that list, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And somebody had made the comment, well, they all seem like somewhat feminine characteristics, which I thought was such an interesting remark. It's like God saying to you, no, that's, it's not an issue of male or female. This is what my children look like. This is how my children live. We are children of God. We are a holy nation set apart for him. God's will for our life is about molding our character, who we are, into the image of Jesus. God's will for our life is that he would continue to change how we think about virtually everything, about our minds, where's our mind set, what are our priorities in life. It says in Philippians, in order why, that we might have the same mind as Christ has. And I believe that as people of God, as children of God, we need to often press the refresh button to remind ourselves that this is what we are called to be, who we are called to be, and how we are called to live. So I might say, you know what, if you've got time this week to, to read Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, such a, an amazing teaching of Jesus about how we're supposed to live. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you may have it memorized. We call it the love chapter. This is what it looks like. Read all of Philippians chapter 2. Incredible chapter about Jesus who put aside things that he could have said, you know, these are, these are my rights. He laid them aside. In many ways, we're called as children of God to put aside rights that other people may choose to get upset about. Philippians 2. The challenge to live out within the family of God, what it means to be his children, what it means to be citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world, which I think is such a sweet thing. Can't be destroyed. No, no military might is going to destroy this kingdom. It, it, it's there, and it's going to reign. And until we see Jesus in all his glory, we're called to join in this battle to live according to the will of God. 